It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Our Locked On Astros, your daily Houston Astros podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are Locked On Houston Astros, and we hope that you join us for a daily Locked On Astros podcast. My name is Eric Heisman. You can find me on Twitter at EricTalkStros. You can find the show at Locked On Astros, your team every day. Brett, where can they, can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter and at Strohs411 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we have special guest today, Barry Bloom. Where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at, at Boomski, B-O-O-M-S-K-I-E. That's an awesome name. So, um, All right, so we're going to be talking about the state of baseball. Are we going to be playing baseball this year? We'll talk a little bit about Hall of Fame, and we'll talk about some other stuff on tonight's Locked on Astros podcast. You can get Locked on Astros on the podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in car, tell your smart device to play the podcast, Locked on Astros. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. That's right. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. All right. So let's go ahead and begin this podcast with something we talked about on the last podcast, but something that's kind of irking a lot of Astros fans, and it's the fact that LeBron James is, uh, I guess, media company or whatever, is going to uh, release a documentary called Sign Stealing, no, uh, Sign Language, and it's covering the Astros cheating scandal of the 2017 season. A few days later, we hear that Alex Bregman has left his agent because it's under the LeBron James umbrella. What have you heard about this, Barry? Basically, I've heard just what's been been out there. In fact, you know, I was working on a piece, a uh, business piece for Forbes about a week or two ago when uh, his marketing manager told me that he was about to leave his agent and, and, and move on to something else. So, you know, there, as you see with the, the Michael Jordan 10 episode special that just ended on ESPN, there's a lot of infighting among these guys and their agents and you never want to cross each other. You know, I thought it was interesting because a lot of um, Astros fans, I, I think we are all kind of, we have our antennas up. We're kind of like looking around for someone to attack us next, right? Because we just feel like we've been inundated with like, we are the ire now of pro sports, blah, blah, blah. But I've noticed a lot of fans have taken the mindset that, you know, Bregman stood up for the Astros. He stood up for his team and he left clutch sports. And I think that might be some of it, but I think this is probably things like this probably don't just happen overnight. No. No, things it, it's probably you know whatever inside is going on there might have been the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back but i mean i, I would think that from the outside world because you know obviously january was kind of dominated by 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 this news about the astros going into spring training if, if the season had opened especially with that second series of the season in oakland with you know, Mike Fires being on on the A's, everybody was honing in already on what was going to happen with that series and, and se- several series during the season. 
And then suddenly, bam, Major League Baseball and all sports get shut down because of the coronavirus. And we have 90,000 people dead at this point, maybe more, you know, and heading towards 100,000 and maybe a lot more. So I, I really do, from the outside world, and it may not feel like that in Houston, I really feel like a shell of the Astros sign stealing at this point. It, it's really not very important. It happened. They were, you know, uh punished in whatever realm you think the punishment or not you but one thinks the punishment was fair or not fair you know you you move on and i think when the season does start if it does start this year and it moves into next year so with new rules that are being instituted particularly if if uh games are played this year you know we're you know there's no fighting there's no confrontations there's no you know spitting you know players are slobs they have to clean up their whole act i think the least thing should be on the mind of players under the circumstances the fact that the astros stole signs a couple of years ago yeah and i know a lot of people are saying well, i guess the astros are getting out of another punishment because uh, nobody can fight them or anything like this and i think a lot of people are missing the whole point we're just trying to be safe and the whole thing about all these rules that mlb and the players have been talking about is to make the game safe so nobody gets sick they don't have to shut down the whole season all that but let's kind of focus on what's important and that's getting baseball back With with that being said, what do you think the odds are that we have an 82-game season, or do you think there's a chance that it could be canceled? First of all, I'm interested to see, you know, where, you know, the players go and what they come back with in a counterproposal to the owners, because, you know, they're going to have to do that. So either they say, you know, our interpretation of the March agreement is that we were supposed to be paid a prorated part of our salaries to play every game regardless of where it's played and what in front of who. And now you're asking to rewrite the agreement and we're not going to do it. And then the owners, it's going to be on them to say, well, we don't have any money, enough money to pay you to do that. And so we can't do it. So there's got to be some sort of meeting of the minds here where, you know, you can spin this into next year, borrow money off of contracts that, you know, are long-term. There's creative ways. These are brighter minds. You've got economists, lawyers, brighter minds than mine to be able to sit down and come up with some ideas of how you accommodate both sides and you're able to do this. I, I come to the conclusion that at some point we're going to have a plan for doing this. We might even get back to training camps, whether it be in your ballpark or in Florida or Arizona or a combination of in the middle of June, and then events are going to overtake it and you just can't play this with 200,000 people dead. I'm sorry. You know, it's just, yeah, it, it's just an affront to me that anybody's uh, life is going to be put on the line for this. And there's no acceptable loss. The money is replaceable. The economy is replaceable. We'll figure our way back from all of this. But the lives, the individual life is not replaceable. So, uh, you know, I wrote weeks ago that the that 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 the uh, that MLB should shelve this and just hope that everything is contained enough by next spring so they can get back to spring training and have a regular season and then figure this whole thing out. And I just think that by the time you get till July 1st, the events are going to overtake it and you're not going to be able to play. If you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Astros is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Astros fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On Astros gives your local company a 
the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a locked-on podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Astros fans and predominantly male audience that is well-educated with a disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this locked-on podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. As sure as the sun comes up in the morning, there's Built Bar. That's right. Built Bar is tasty. And just like the sun coming up in the morning, I can guarantee you that Built Bar isn't just a protein bar. It tastes like a candy bar. It's wrapped in 100% chocolate. It is low calorie. It is high in protein. It doesn't have a ton of sugar. It only has three net carbs in most of their bars. They have 16 amazing flavors. My favorite is banana nut bread. Myself and Miss Wheelhouse, we love these things. We've tried the chalky protein bars. We've tried the protein bars that are like three meals in one. We've also tried the protein bars that you have to drink a whole 32-ounce bottle of water just to get it down your throat. But here's the deal. Right now, I've got an offer for you. You need to go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's right. Use the promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off at BuiltBar.com. This is HL Wheelhouse. Take it from me. Get Built Bar. This podcast is sponsored by the audiobook edition of 24, Life's Stories and Lessons of the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as generation's greatest player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a forward read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 Now wherever audiobooks are sold. Yeah, it just, we've talked about this in length and just the more we talk about it, you know, I'm like, hey, let's let's play baseball. But the more you get into the details, you know, they always say the devil's in the details. And in your most recent article with um, Sportico, you wrote, um, if, if you go to variety.com, look for his article. Um, it's called Baseball's Free Agents Are Heading for Whopping Salary Cuts. You had talked about, and I didn't realize this, and this is a direct quote from your article, the cost of playing games without fans is $640,000 per game, which mushrooms into, you say, $787 million if all 30 teams played an 82-game schedule in empty stadiums. And that, to me alone, is I know they're looking at the health and wellness of people, but I think when the owners start looking at numbers like this and things that y'all reviewed as a business, Sportico's reviewed different details, it just seems, Barry, at this point that there's more cons than there are pros to getting the season started started and like anybody else like a baseball fanatic and i know you're a baseball fanatic obviously i mean we all want baseball to be played but how far are we willing to go at whose expense are we willing to be 
entertained. Right. And so if you look at, you know, the breakdown of it, you know, basically with no fans in the ballpark for, you know, the time being, at least the time being, you know, basically all the ancillary revenue that comes from ticket sales, suite sales, signage in the ballpark, parking, concessions, souvenirs. I mean, you go down the gamut, that's all out the window. So the only money, what the owners are trying to recoup here is they're trying to recoup their television dollars, both locally and nationally, which add up to about 1.5 to 1.7 billion. So they look at it and they say, okay, if we have to play an entire season without fans, it's going to cost us about half of that. So essentially, we'll give the other half to the players and prorate their salaries accordingly because that's all the revenue we're going to have for the season. Now, from the owner's point of view, you know, they're looking at it and saying maybe conditions will be better in the fall. Everything that we're hearing and reading is that it's not. When flu season hits or a third wave by then of the coronavirus hits, it's going to be very difficult to do anything again in the fall. But they're hoping that they can get to at least this expanded postseason with people filling the ballparks, and that's where they'll be able to recoup their money. So this is where the owner's mindset is. I'm a player. I'm saying... Okay, I've already given up 40% in the March agreement. Now they're asking me to give up even more. And not one owner is going to put himself at a health risk by making this deal. But every player, no matter what the health and safety issues and concerns are, no matter what the document says they're going to do, every player is going to be at risk of getting sick. They're taking all the risk. So if I'm taking all the risk, why am I giving money back to the owners? Why why aren't the owners just saying, you know, we'll go to the bank and we'll borrow it for the short term. Hope we get to the postseason so we can pay some of it back and we'll just pay you so that you're comfortable playing the game. At least that'll mitigate the circumstances which are dangerous. And, you know, I've had people tell me that opening up the economy in general, there's an acceptable loss. No, there isn't an acceptable loss. There is no acceptable loss. As I said before, one person dying, another person dying is not an acceptable loss. And if uh, Rob Manford wants to be the commissioner that goes down in history, who oversees a player dying of of COVID-19 because they opened up the game under any circumstances, so be it. Yeah, and I know a lot of uh, players are kind of where you're at and that they want to, like I know Blake Snell has come out. You've heard some of the other guys coming up. But uh, one thing that is probably going to be affected is free agency. Uh, You're going to have all these teams that have lost all this money this year, whether they play baseball or they don't play baseball. You have players like Mookie Betts who got traded, who may, if the season's canceled, he may never play a game with the Dodgers. And so, but with somebody like George Spring, do you see him uh, being able to get a max contract out there, or is it just a bad time to be a free agent? Well, there's no max contracts well, in, the, in baseball anyway. I mean, it's just whatever the market's going to bear. And, you know, the, and the market is not going to bear anything right. in the offseason because, you know, if they if they don't play the season, what the owners are looking at, first of all, the players will have gotten paid $170 million 
through June. So that there there has been a good faith expenditure by the owners to pay the players. Right. And they also have paid minor league players a certain amount of money till June. So that's an expense that's already out of their pocket. It paid under the auspices of their regular contracts for 2021, just as if none of this happened. But there's not going to be any money for, for, for players to be getting big contracts in free agents. Now, do I think that, you know, Mookie Betts will resign for $28 million with, for one year with the Dodgers and ride this out? Do I think that George Springer will do the same thing with the Astros or somebody else? Yeah, probably. They're, they're going to spend that money. But the long-term, you know, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, you know, expenditures and the deals that were done this year, Garrett Cole's deal, those things are out the window for the foreseeable future. And even if they do play, they're out the window for the foreseeable future. And then you have a renegotiation of of the basic agreement next year because it expires after the 2021 season. And that was going to be a hard road to travel anyway. So with all this in the background, who knows what's going to happen with all that? So you you can look at it in free agency. Those salad days may be long behind us for a while. That is a that is a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> and then that you're not even of... to, and now you're not even add the element to it that among these owners, you know, you have people who are taking a bath in other businesses, you know, like your Houston Rockets owner there, who just went hand in hand, uh, hat in hand to Trump's White House, seeking some sort of bailout because he owns Landry's restaurants and they're all closed, and his whole business is tanked. So how's he going to how's he going to use whatever money he has to float the Rockets and the Toyota Center? next season. So you, what you're going to see is you're going to see a falling by the wayside of, of a lot of owners in sports across the board because, you know, they're not going to be able to to afford it. What happens to Mickey Aronson, who owns the Miami Heat, and his, and his Carnival Cruise Lines are essentially shut down? That's his main business. What happens to a guy like Ronnie David in Sacramento? You know, what happens to Stu Stanberg in, in, in Tampa when they don't have have $80 million in, in revenue sharing funds coming from the large market teams to float them for the year or the guy down the hedge fund owner who owns the Miami Marlins. There's no money. There's no money going. The Yankees lose $300 million. It means there's no money to transfer to teams like the Pirates, the A's, the Rays, the Marlins. And there are teams that could go bankrupt. I mean, you just don't understand I'm not saying you, but I think the general public doesn't understand the economic ramifications in this for baseball and all sports leagues. I mean, you're looking at, in the minor leagues, a mass extinction of minor league teams. They wanted to get rid of 42 minor league teams anyway. There could be a lot more than that or go by the wayside because there's just no revenue and no money. Yeah, so that so that makes me, that makes me wonder, you were you were talking about that and not to necessarily have a back and forth on this because um, I really, I really see where you are coming from and like, it's not worth starting the season, but that, but it almost seems like with all those dominoes falling, like I go into stores and I see how they're doing things safely. I, I go into public places and I see how we're doing things safely. It just seems to me there's, there's gotta be a way to figure out how to do things the right way safely 
so that all these other things, these dominoes don't fall. Well, it, the, the problem is, effect. well, the problem is there's just too many moving parts. You know, you, you, no matter what, I, I still think the best way to do this, and I, I floated this in March after they, this went down, is that you play the season in Florida and Arizona. You play games at night when it's not that hot or early in the morning. You play in each of the camps. There's, it's Cactus League and Grapefruit League, and the twain do not meet. All you have to do is get into a car or a bus and go from one site to another to play the games. You don't have to go on an airplane. You don't have to stay in a hotel. You can rent housing. You can have people prepare food. It, that's the way to minimize the problems. And and the most uncomfortable part of it would be the fact that you're having to play in extreme heat in the summers in, in those places. But you have to do it in a lot of cities in, in Major League Baseball during the summer anyway. So you contain, you know, the problems. But in the systems they're talking about now, where even if you're playing NL West against AL West and within your own divisions and Central, Central, East, East, in a place like the West, that, that's a lot of travel. I mean, Seattle has to get to Houston. Houston has to get to Los Angeles and Anaheim. You know, it's not like the East Coast where you can pop from, you know, New York to Boston to, you know, Philadelphia, Cleveland. They're all short hops. Some of them you can take a bus or the train. You know, there's no doing that out West. So you're talking about major, major traveling. And even if you if you go on charter airplanes, hotels where you're limited, trying to limit the amount of people that are around, meals that are made for you and, and you're, you're in containment, the, the possibility that, that, that you can still get sick, especially when you're living at home and going home to your own family, is really extreme. I don't it's not the same as going into into a Costco where, you know, I just did where you have to wear a mask. There are plastic shields, you know, from, uh, uh, at the cash registers. You know, they're constantly wiping things down with antiseptics. You can control the environment and the, and the chances of things happening within that single environment for the short time you are in there are mitigated. Now, there's still a chance that somebody could get sick, but the chances are very small. In, the, in, in that kind of environment. You're, you're talking about multiple environments and the ballpark for Major League Baseball players and even worse for, you know, basketball and hockey players who would be playing indoors where the environment is, is, is more dangerous to contain the virus. So I, I, that's why I say to you, you have a 67-page you know, health and uh, safety you know, uh, proposal that's been given to the players. And all of that is all well and good until one player strays from it, does something that he shouldn't do, goes to a place that he shouldn't have gone. And then like that dude in South Korea who hit the three bars and didn't know he had the disease, infects a whole you know, contact area of people. But you think that there isn't going to be some young major league player who isn't going to like sneak out of a hotel somewhere and go and go to a bar? You really don't think that's that's not going to happen? No, not but, baseball players, Barry. Come no, on, they're, oh, yeah. they're all good guys. They, yeah, they're, they're, I mean they're they're going to act like the kids they are. They're role models. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad to hear about the what's going on in uh, with the Oakland A's that uh, they can't make their rent this month, and uh, so there's a little well, controversy apparently, there. The, apparently, that's not 
the case. Oh, okay. Apparently, you know, I, I read the, the clause in their agreement with the city of Oakland or county or the Coliseum Commission or wherever, but apparently they have a, what's called a force majeure clause in in their, you know, in their contract that says that if there is any sort of, you know, ep- epidemic, hurricane, flood, hmm. unusual circumstance, and the, and the ballpark w- is not made available to them, they can defer their rent. Okay. And that's what they're doing. The, you know, the, the city of Oakland has, has tried to pin it on them that they can't afford it and can't pay the money. They can pay the money. Every major league team has got a, a, a credit line that they can use to get a million and a half dollars to pay the rent. You know, the Fishers who own the A's are, are rich as hell. You know, they can go into their own pocket for $1.2 million. And they've just decided that they're going to defer the money at this point. Now, do I agree with that? Should, it was it a bit a stupid thing to do. You know, when you have a relationship with the city, it probably wasn't the greatest thing in the world to do especially when you're trying to rely on them to put together a ballpark project. But that's what they chose to do. Yeah, I was looking at your, um, your uh, what do you call it, the, the picture on your profile, and uh, you're sitting next to Tony Gwynn. I know you're a Hall of Fame writer. Do you have any great uh, Tony Gwynn stories? This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Oh yeah. My favorite, uh, Tony Quinn story. Two of my, uh, my best friends in the business, you know, was Tony and I covered the Padres for the local paper there for a good portion of his career. And I was around for his first hit, his last hit, you know, and practically every hit in between. And then Barry Bonds and I are really still close friends. And, uh, you know, I was with him for the five years that he was pursuing the 700th homer and Roos record and then Aaron's record and all the Balco stuff. And there, there was a great story with the two of them where actually there's a few of them, but the one that I love is, you know, Barry, as cantankerous as he was, you know, Tony basically one day said to Barry, and Barry respected the hell out of Tony and vice versa. And, and Tony said to him, Barry, why do you act the way you act? You bring all this stuff on yourself. Why don't you do what I do and just make life easier on yourself? So he said, we're going to the All-Star game next week. Just watch what I do and do everything I do. So they go to the All-Star game. 
Tony's in the locker room doing his thing before it, the, the practice of the game on game day. Barry's watching him. Barry is fielding questions from the media, doing well. He does it all the way through the All-Star game. Then they they break up, go in their different directions. You know, Barry starts the season on on second half of the season on an 0 for 15. Suddenly, his San Francisco Giants teammates go, we want the old you back. What the hell is wrong with you? You know, you need to be cantankerous again. You know, you, so you start hitting. So Barry goes back to his old self, starts hitting. The next time the Padres see the Giants, Tony goes up to Barry and says, Barry, what happened? And Barry goes, Tony, I can't do what you do. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, those are those are those are two two completely different, you know, personalities because that was one of the knocks. I was actually talking to someone the other day just on a just a just a regular conversation and I said, you know, the one thing that kept I think or that or that really holds Barry Bonds out is I I don't know, this to me, to me personally is was his relationship with with the media and Tony Gwynn was just one of those guys that you just know like you would have to be a really bad person to not get along with Tony Gwynn. I loved watching him, you know, in the Astrodome. I remember Barry, he would be out in right field and he would he would have sunflower seeds and by the end of the game there would be a circle where Tony Gwynn was standing in the outfield um, with all the sunflower seeds he had um, out there in the in the Astrodome. And so you are a Hall of Fame voter. You've been doing that since 1992. And we have two Houston Astros in the hall, Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. There are some other Astros that Astros fans like to talk about. And if I were to give you the names like Billy Wagner, Lance Berkman, Roy Oswalt, or even Mike Scott, um, any of those guys do you think are they're they're always going to be like on the outside looking in, or do you think one of those four deserves a shot or should be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think any of those four deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, okay. and, and I don't I don't remember ever voting for any of them. Okay. I think they're all like Hall of the of the very good type players. You know, people you, you know you get those arguments all the time. Fred McGriff, Gil Hodges, Steve Garvey. I mean. I voted for him every year. For the life of me, I don't understand why Garvey never got any traction. But, you know, I, I just think they were all players who, you know, reached a certain level in their career and just never, never got over the hump. They you know, all very nice, all very nice players. You know, but that certainly you don't think any of those guys reached the level of Bagwell and Biggio, do you? Oh, no, 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 definitely. I don't. I don't think they are. I, I just know that probably of those, I think Lance Berkman is the is the question that a lot of people in I can't remember who they were comparing him to. They were comparing Berkman to some other player and they had similar stats. And well, I, so, I think, uh, you know, what happens these days is that with advanced analytics, mm-hmm. you can basically compare anybody using advanced analytics to project back to you know, what what somebody would have done in their career against somebody who's already in the Hall of Fame. Sure, and it's impossible, sure. and it's really impossible to do. You know, I, I like uh, Jay Jaffe's Jaws because it, it it puts into the equation how a player performed in different eras rather than war. I'm not a big fan of war. I know everybody uses it, but I think it leaves out the factor that, you know, what wins above replacement player? What does that mean? First of all, who's the replacement player? And secondly, the two best seasons offensively in my lifetime were 
Mickey Mantle in 1956 and Frank Robinson in 1966. They both, you know, won the Triple Crown. They both won the American League MVP. And they both, you know, brought their teams to the World Series, helped their teams win the World Series. They're the only players in history who have done that. And to me, that's the ultimate win above a replacement player is, do you help your team to win? You know, that's why it's not as good a player as Mike Trout is. It's not a representative stat for Mike Mike Trout because he does not help his team win. Now, there are a lot of other elements to that, but the point of the matter is, you know, baseball is a team game and you rely very much on what your what 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 the players around you do to whether you win or whether you lose or whether you drive in a run or you don't drive in a run. There has to be people on base. There's a whole slew of different things. And I just think that, uh, you know, Scott Oswald was on a trajectory to, to be a great pitcher. And I, I loved Oswald, both as a person and a, and a pitcher. Uh, in his heyday, I loved watching him pitch, but he just kind of petered out. I'll tell you where I'm going. I don't know that I'd vote for Clayton Kershaw right now for the Hall of Fame. Hmm. Not with 160 lifetime wins. Well, There's you nobody know, in the Hall of Fame with 160 lifetime wins. Right now, with the wins thing, I would think that, you know, getting to 300 wins is not really, you know, something that seems like it's obtainable anymore. No, that's unrealistic. So and I've had that conversation at length with Kershaw and at that length with Verlander in, okay, how do we, you know, like, how do we make adjustments as voters to say, okay, you know, we can't, uh, you know, that's that, which used to be a gimme, like 3,000 hits. You know, if you got 3,000 wins, 300 wins, you were in the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, where is it? I mean, I think CC with 250 wins and 3,000 strikeouts he probably would get my vote for the Hall of Fame because that's the best you're going to do at this point in this in this in this era. So you can't you have to find a way to shoe, shoehorn in starting pitchers right now, or else you're just not you're going to go through a, a, an era where you're not going to have any any starting pitchers getting into the Hall of Fame. You know that's why you know I I, I vote for Kurt Schilling, I vote for Andy Pettit. I, I I think that statistically and the impact they made both as individually and component parts to their teams, their teams don't win without their contribution. And, you know, they're essential to essential to that. And even though they don't put up kind of counting stats that pitchers did in the past, I mean, we didn't put in Tommy John and Jim Cott with over 280 wins. You know, we, it took us six years to get Mike Mussina in with 270. So, I mean, where do you go with, 200 wins, 210 wins. Like I said, Kershaw with a, with 160 to 170. I mean, there's a him losing a whole season right now, and with his back and arm injuries, he may not be ever be the same. So that's where where Hall of Fame careers kind of fall off the off the uh, off the cliff. I mean, Lance Bergman was not a very good player near the end of his career, and he played with you know a number of different teams after the Astros. I, I just don't think that, uh, that 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 those guys are Hall worthy. You know, and, and even with you know this new thing with the Hall voting in players in veterans committees that that we never even gave a sniff to on our ballot. Guys like Harold Baines, you know, Ted Simmons, 
I mean, these recent guys, they weren't, they didn't even stay on, stay on the balance for four or five years. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, uh, Barry, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up, but uh, could you go ahead and tell us, uh, our listeners, where they can find your work and uh, where they can find you on Twitter? Well, yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to just uh, start a new job as, as a sports business writer for a new platform from uh, the Penske Media Company uh, called Sportico. And, and I'm just writing my first couple of pieces. I started Monday. This was after two years of writing columns for Forbes, which was a great experience. And after 17 years at MLB.com, and I really feel lucky. I've had a great career, and you know, really, I've, I've never in a business that has just shed 36,000 people on furloughs or or dismissals since the coronavirus. You know, I've never had a day without work in my life. So if you go to Variety right now, which is which is running our our Sportico pieces. Uh, ultimately, there will be a Sportico site, which you'll be able to go to every day to see a great collection of pieces from our staff. That's where you'll find my stuff from here on in. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, my uh, Twitter handle is at Boomski, B-O-O-M-S-K-I-E. Uh, formerly the Boomski on baseball was my blog blog name, and, and I carried it over to Forbes. So that, that's going to be in semi-retirement for a while uh, on Facebook. Facebook, it's just, it's Barry, Barry M. Bloom. Same thing on Instagram and same thing on LinkedIn. So there are plenty of places to find my stuff or just go to Google and Barry M. Bloom and you'll find everything. All right. Well, thanks for joining in and hopefully uh, there's a baseball season, but I think with your knowledge, a lot of people kind of understand why there may not be. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Check back on tomorrow where we will have Jimmy Price from Astros Future on to talk Astros minor league season and minor leaguers and possible people to make that 50-man roster. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.